I'm Seth. And I'm Jonathan. And welcome to No Experts Allowed. You know what we love? The Bible. You know what we don't love? When people use the Bible to scare or hurt others instead of allowing it to transform them and their communities. So we're trying something different. Two Bible nerds hosting a podcast that isn't about technical details, but is about two simple questions. What's the story and what's the point? One of us will prepare for the conversation. Let's call them the non-expert. The other will respond to the story as they hear it. We'll call them, and you, the storyteller. So we can show you that you don't need to be an expert to hear the Bible speak to our world. Join us. Let's tell a good story today. Seth? Hi. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, Seth. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. I'm tired of trying to make up good opening greetings. <laughs> I'm trying to start well, but I just, it's so hard. It is. There's only so many greetings. Yeah. I'm just glad, like, it's still barely, still barely light outside. Daylight savings time has arrived. I don't understand it. It's actually kind of frustrating. But I do like the sun being out longer into the day. It's very nice. I'm with you. I think this this is what it should just be like all winter. I can only wish. <laughs> but enough about these archaic practices. <laughs> I have a very important question for you. What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want a tattoo on your lower back or on the back of your neck? And... <laughs> What would your tattoo be oh, of? <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to go lower back. That one's easy okay. for me because that's going to be way easier to cover up than on my neck. Fair. But I, what would it be of? I have no idea. I don't know. Is it weird to put a Bible verse on your lower back? <laughs> Might be a little out of character, but I don't think it'd be weird. Actually, I don't think it would be out of character for you at all, so maybe it's appropriate. The question is, what verse would it be then? Oh, would it be like a fun, like a funny one yeah, based on the it, location? I think of... it would be. Yeah. Maybe in 2 Kings when Elijah calls those two she-bears down and mauls those kids. Mauls the kids because they were making fun of his hairline. Yeah, yeah. that might be it. I connect with that passage. <laughs> I was thinking that Wait, or like... Uh, you have hair. <laughs> That's, I'd be pretty sensitive if someone started making fun of my hair. So <laughs> you're not thinning out. <laughs> okay. Not yet. Okay. No, I'm thinking about um, some passages and some good ones in Deuteronomy. Oh, there's some good ones. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite is Deuteronomy 25 verses 11 and 12, which is if two men are fighting, and oh, the yeah. wife of one comes to rescue her husband from his assailant, and she reaches out and seizes him by the private parts. You shall cut off her hand and show her no pity. <laughs> okay. Now, I think that would be... Where do I wouldn't get it? the whole thing tattooed. You wouldn't get Oh, on my lower back. Okay. I'm with you. I, I, don't, I don't think I could cover up the... Unless I grew a business-friendly mullet. I don't think I could cover it up very well. You, you definitely don't have room for that entire verse on your neck. You would have to take like the whole... My whole your back. Whole... Well, I might just do the reference... And then people can look it up for themselves. That's true. That's true. Hmm. 
So ironic Bible verse, lower back tattoos is where we're at. I'm supportive of this. When it's safe for us to do so, we're going to go from one needle to the other. We're going to get our vaccines. We're going to go get tattoos. (laughs) Not those kinds of needles. Sounds like, whoa. Man, I think we need to move on to the scripture. I think so, too. Will you read it for us? I would love to. This is Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. See, a time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant which they broke, though I espoused them, declares the Lord. But such is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after these days, declares the Lord. I will put my teaching into their inmost being and inscribe it upon their hearts. Then I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer will they need to teach one another and say to one another, Heed the Lord, for all of them, from the least of them to the greatest, shall heed me, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquities and remember their sins no more. So why did you choose the Jewish Publication Society to knock? Yeah, got to bring out a new translation for us this week. I don't think we've used this one yet, have we? No, I don't think so. Okay, so the Jewish Publication Society, JPS, has this incredible resource, um, probably more valuable for someone like you who actually can read and comprehend some Hebrew. Uh, But this is a copy of the Hebrew Bible that has the JPS's English translation and a Hebrew text in parallel columns on each page. It's a beautiful translation. It's also just a beautiful, beautiful Bible. It does take some getting used to because it's written like the Hebrew is. So I have to start on the right side of the book and turn pages from left to right to go to the next page but I can still read along in the English. It just takes a little bit of getting used to. But among Jewish scholars, I would say, based on what I could pick up, this is definitely a preferred translation, even uh, just among many Hebrew Bible scholars. This is a very highly renowned translation. JPS is very respected, and it's not only its scripture work, but also commentaries, other scholarly writings. Uh, And the translation itself is based on the original Hebrew, appropriately, given the nature of this particular uh, resource. And according to their according to their website, they say that their translation, because it's based on the original Hebrew, it allows for an English style reflective of the biblical spirit and language rather than the era of the translation. Huh. So they're trying to get as close to the original meaning as possible. Hmm. Neat. So anyways, just just thought I would bring this one out, give it a try. I thought it was really beautifully beautifully rendered for this passage. And as you read it, what stood out to you? The first thing is when the Lord is like, I'm going to make a new covenant, but it's not going to be like that other covenant from mm. Egypt. That's fascinating to me. I want to hear what you think about that. I mean... See, I always thought the idea of covenants were that, like, they're eternal, right? They're kind of, they're unbreakable. 
And I, I wonder if this isn't, I mean, when you have a new one, does that annul this old one? Or is this just like a recapitulation of it, of the old one in some way? Sure. This is a really interesting dynamic, especially since if you think about the whole Hebrew Bible, the covenant with the people in Egypt, the Mosaic covenant, the covenant of Moses, it's not the only covenant that we've seen so far in scripture either. You could talk about the covenant with, even with Noah or with Abraham and the covenant with David that comes after the Mosaic covenant. There's this particular, particular focus here. And I'm wondering if it has to do with the fact that Jeremiah is often labeled as the prophet in exile. Hmm. And though all those groups were exiles in some way, there's no clearer parallel for Israel in exile than to Israel enslaved in Egypt. Maybe that's what this connection is about here. And maybe there was some particular emphasis on that covenant which again, I would say probably holds the most significance for the people that they're looking back on kind of in retrospect, thinking about what in the world brought us to this point. Like how can we make sense of this devastating wilderness experience that we're now encountering again? What happened in our previous one? Well, it's clear that we walked away from that. Yeah. You know, kind of, kind of reading and writing some of that retrospective understanding into this text. Hmm. Okay. That's helpful. Yeah. The idea of, of Jeremiah being someone who's in exile helps to make, that helps to make sense of why that might be the covenant that's drawn upon here. I'm also interested in God putting God's teachings into people's inmost being. And inscribing mm. it into their hearts or upon their hearts. Yeah. Man, that's beautiful. There's a depth to that that I don't think you see many places in scripture. You know, like there's a very specific image there that talks so much about how deeply woven the ways of God are into who we are. I think a very tangible example of what it means to bear God's image what it means to be of sacred worth. I really loved that language. I love that imagery too. And interesting that, you know, especially compared to the covenant with Moses, where the covenant was in many ways inscribed on stone tablets, yeah, yeah. transitioning to it being inscribed in the very people with whom the covenant is made. And I want to I dig into that a little bit more here. Can you, will you humor me about a few fun language things about this passage? Oh, yeah. Let's do I it. I know you will. I hope our listeners will too. So in the part where you mentioned about the covenant with Israel and Egypt, in verse 32, God describes this time as when God took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. And I don't know if you get the, I don't, what comes to mind when you hear God taking Israel by the hand. Oh, like leading a little child. Like when you lead him across the street or something. You like right? Take Isn't it like, it's tender. Yeah. And like that is probably not the, the image we should take away based on where else this language is used. It's very much more like, like someone's hanging off a cliff or the edge of a building that's falling apart. 
and someone reaches out and like forearm to forearm like grabs them as tightly as possible and like their rescue was only possible because god intervened in that moment so just an interesting an interesting distinction and i wonder how that language would resonate with them in the midst of exile as well the other one that's just kind of confusing uh, but when it talks about just after that when the israelites broke the covenant what we heard read was though i espoused them yeah yeah and there's a lot of confusion about what this means a lot of translations most english translations actually render this as though i was their husband and yeah. talks about it in in the in the lens of a marriage covenant i was looking into i was looking into some scholar like some research about this because I wanted to see what images had been used for that covenant relationship. And there is also some scholarship on the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the the Hebrew Bible uh, that creates a very different image that essentially says Israel turned away from God and God turned away from Israel. The Greek creates much more of a mutual split than a, Israel walked away and God had had no no change in action. Yeah. Hmm. So just kind of unique there. The last one, which is I think most important. Again, looking at the Greek of this in the Septuagint. The language used for new covenant, that word new has origins in another particular word. It's the Greek word kairos, ah. which is Greek for an appointed time yeah. or season. It's essentially saying not a new is replacing the old, but it's new in the sense that this is the covenant that we're making here and now. Like this is the time appointed for us to have this kind of agreement. And I don't know about you. I actually am curious to hear what you think about that. But for me, that that kind of reframed the idea of the Old and New Testament or the Old and New Covenant in a little bit different of a light, you know? I think so often it's very easy and a lot of people have been harmed due to the fact that Christians have claimed that the relationship, the covenant that they have with God has replaced that of those that may adhere to a Jewish faith. And I can not begin to go into the unspeakable harm and unspeakable hatred that has come not solely because, but directly as a result of that kind of theology and hatred and vitriol that comes as a result. And instead thinking of it as God being a little more contextual, maybe it's like, yeah, that's, you know, this is, this is, this is how God connected with, with God's people in this time. And now this is happening and who knows, who knows how God may connect with God's people in a different time and place too. You know, I I just, I, I thought that was really interesting. So thanks for humor, humoring my language exploration. But what, what do you think about that? What do you think about that that kind of reframing of the idea of a new covenant? That's particularly helpful to me, especially that's some of the language that concerned me. Like, oh, this is mm. this replaces this old one. Like what what can we make of that, right? And I've and just like you talked about, there's this unspeakable harm that the church has done to people who are Jewish because of of theology that's that starts with that that kind of idea, this is a replacement. It's interesting to think about 
God as contextual, like you said. Like this is mm. this is how God's working at this time and in this particular place, right? To make a covenant that's meaningful then for these people and, yeah. and their circumstances. It seems like this covenant would last longer than the mm. one that's on stone, which is interesting to think about. Like you can break the the tablets right wherever you write it on but like you can't break it from people's innermost being right you can't rip it out of them when it's inscribed on their hearts you can't erase it somehow yeah that's fascinating too i think you and i also are aware of the trend in the hebrew bible when ideas are repeated it is for emphasis it's almost like adding exclamation points or bolding and underlining certain concepts and all of these things you know the law will be within them inscribe it on their hearts i will be their god they shall be my people we don't need to teach one another anymore to obey god but instead everyone the least to the greatest shall heed god as this translation reads And at the end of that comes God's forgiveness and God's leaving behind the mistakes that they made. And that reiteration of this new way of connecting with God, for me, is just kind of, it feels like God's kind of breaking open a few barriers, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think if we could translate a little bit into the conversation of what's the point of this text, it's very profound for God to be making, as it says early on in what you read, a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah when the houses the houses have been crumbling down. Yeah. And for people so long associating their faith and their religion with a particular place, a particular geographic location, all of the house of Israel, all of the house of Judah is being spread out and dispersed And it's in that moment where they have no home, just like in the wilderness with Moses, that God is again establishing a covenant with them. And for me, again, that seems to break open the doors for what it means to belong to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And that might be my modern lens. I'm sure it is reading into it. But I'm just thinking about if God's people have this covenant spread out through all these places, they are going to be encouraged to, as we hear in Jeremiah, to build houses and plant gardens in the places where they are, even in exile, and to develop sense of community and connection with others and connection with the divine where they are. And that is inevitably going to bring more people into the fold. And with, with that level of openness and this idea that teaching might not be necessary anymore, hmm. I'm just curious to know how the church, with whom we also believe is in this new covenant relationship with God, how we understand this new covenant to be playing out and maybe how the church might be missing that in how it goes about its ministry. Hmm. Yeah, so what does it look like to have the teaching be on the move? It's not in one particular geographical place. 
now yes. it, now it moves and goes wherever the people go. Yes, and it's also not in one particular person. Yeah, yeah including true. including not in one particular ordained person, you know. Mm-hmm. And so much so much of our ministry models have been like let's train up these clergy or these missionaries to take God's good news to this particular place rather than saying how are we how are we identifying with the people in that particular place what God is already up to what God might be stirring up in their midst and how we can instead of thinking of a role of a leader to be to solely guide and direct and teach to instead facilitate and empower the voices of the community to discover what their faithful steps in response to God's action might be together. I don't know. That feels kind of high level. We have such a superhero model of ministry so often where it's, you know, only certain people, only people with certain types of education are able to do God's work. And this seems to offer a pretty strong counter narrative to that. Yeah. It's not, I will put my teachings into the people wearing the collars or just into the people wearing the collars. Yeah. It's in them too. It is. Yeah. The first time I was like, I guess that kind of sounded like it's not in them, but that was a key clarification there. Yeah. It's also in them, but not just in them. Yeah. This is so empowering for someone even who's not yet ordained, but like on that track, it's still empowering for me. Like, cause I, I feel myself in this like weird liminal space sometimes between like, okay, well you're not laity, but you're also not a pastor. So you can't do that Mm -hmm. stuff. So it's like, Oh, you're, you're, you know, you're in this weird place in between and we don't really know what to do with you. This kind of destroys all of those barriers, right? Between like what it looks like to be someone who's just ordained or just laity and especially that weird in between place that has, that's, there's nowhere in here where there's like a third group like in between right. having the teaching and not having the teaching. There's no yeah. there's nobody with like half of it. Right? And I just wonder too if what that means for folks who are who are in ministry and, and who are maybe like us on that ordination journey. We so we we've talked about this recently about how we emphasize clergy education and in, in our traditions in, in particular and what barriers that can put up. I'm just struck by how, yeah, we do need to educate ourselves. Like we, we have resources and books and scholars to read and listen to and all that. But based on this, we've also got people to listen to people who, who might not carry the most weight if they were in a room of seminary faculty or in a room full of pastors but people who still have the love of God inscribed on their inmost being. It's not just source material, but it's a different mm-hmm. type of source material, right? Yeah. Those are your, those are your people. And maybe, maybe the gifts of the ordained are not to bring the knowledge, but to help c- the community discover the knowledge and strengths that it already has. Again, the, the spaces where the spirit is already stirring up something among the folks that are there and trying to pay attention to that. The idea that we're all in ministry though, 
can help us help us recognize maybe some different different ways we think about power dynamics. I remember a few communities that I've worshipped with. I've always loved this, but on their bulletins they print out the like the staff members of the congregation, usually like the pastor and you know if they're worship leaders or anything like that or children's ministers, they have their names in the bulletin. But the first line that they print is it says ministers all members of the congregation. Yeah. yeah. And then it says either like assistance to the ministers or like minister, it says like, something like minister support and then lists out the, the paid staff of the church. And it's just like, it's a simple thing that just goes on the back of the bulletin every week. You know, probably they did it once and might not think about it much more, but it says something about how you organize your ministry, how you think about your own work, how you think about, the life of the church too that you're not just you're not just a product for people to consume you're equipping the actual work of ministry by sending folks out after the services too and as someone who might be attending one of those services you're the one who's attending to receive to receive power to receive a little of that interpretation of what god has written on your own heart and then to go out and live faithfully in response i guess this is slightly aimed more at people who are pastors or like in some type of ministerial context in which they have like some authority but one of my favorite theologians is gregory the great he was pope from 590 till he died in 604 and like a thousand years later, this is this is my favorite fact about Gregory. Like a, almost a thousand years later, John Calvin would call him the last good pope, which is amazing. <laughs> like what a burn for everybody in between. <laughs> for a thousand years of popes, he's just like none of y'all yeah. any good. But he always referred to himself as a servant of the servants of God. That's how he would put and style all of his writings. He would say, like, from, you know, Gregory, a servant of the servants of God. And I always think, like, what, what a way, what a way to think about yourself and to think about all the people that you're serving. I wonder if that's, like, recognizing them as servants of God and you, if that also doesn't get at kind of, like, getting rid of these boundaries that we have here, right? It empowers them yeah. and it empowers you to support what they're doing. So I think what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Gregory. Oh, Greg. Oh. <laughs> He's pretty great. He's pretty Greg He's too. Pretty, he is. <laughs> you know, you're, you're pretty great or you're at least a big deal when your right. middle name's the. Well, and, yeah, you're a big deal because there's also like, like Ivan the Terrible. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. You're not necessarily great, but you're you're famous, like Kermit yeah. the Frog. The guy who's kind of a big deal, Gregory the Great, that you were referencing, is is a wonderful example of what it means to offer leadership with a spirit, uh, with a, a spirit like what is articulated here in Jeremiah, to acknowledge that the spirit of God is at work beyond those who, as you said, wear the collar. And that we have something not only to learn from everyone we encounter, but there's something to celebrate in everyone we encounter because the 
divine spirit, the divine image has been woven into the very fabric of their being. So I hope we can go about our week with that mentality in mind. I hope so. At least most of the time. (laughs) I hope so too. More times than not. Well, can I pray for us? I would love that. Great. Let's pray. Living one, you came to us not to be served, but to serve. You, the greatest, came to save and celebrate the least and the lost. Help us to order our communities to celebrate everyone, especially the least and the lost, and the gifts you have freely given to us all. Mindful of the many names by which your children cry out to you from all over the world, I pray in the name of the one who meets us in our exile, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode. Seth, what story will we tell next week? Next week, we're talking about Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. But until then, leave us a review and find us on Twitter and Instagram to continue the conversation. Thanks for walking us through that story, Jonathan. Thanks for helping me tell it.